Welcome to the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. We come to you weekly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership in District 91 in the UK. Welcome to Shilling Toastmasters podcast. This episode is a special anniversary episode celebrating the first year of the podcast. Thank you, Violetta. It's quite amazing. Yeah, I hadn't actually given it any thought. If you hadn't told us that it was our first anniversary, I think we'd have just sailed straight through it. So, so um, that's now the proper time to say our thoughts and reflections, what we think about our uh, first anniversary of this podcast, whose uh, initiator, I believe, was Paul Omani. And guess what, everybody? Here is Paul himself. I'll never forget it, listeners. It was a, we'll say, a, a wet February. Perhaps it was a dank January. Whenever it was a, quite a while ago when the trial episodes of this podcast were started. So let me just say how remarkable this podcast is from my perspective, because I've been doing some research about how many Toastmasters clubs in the world have a Toastmasters, have a podcast for their club. Now, let me ask you, Philippa, Violetta, I'll come to our guests in a second. Guess how many I was able to find Toastmasters club podcasts in the world. And you know how popular podcasting has become. Guess, please, give me a number. I'm saying 100. Very good guess. Totally wrong, but good guess. Uh, Violetta? 10. Well, you win the prize for being closest. I have only been able to find the podcast by Pioneers Toastmasters Club in District 46 that began podcasting in September 2021 and whose latest episode is March 23. Of course, some of you listeners know about the Toastmasters International podcast, which uh, comes out, I think it's monthly, but has been going since 2000, in some form or other, since about 2007. Um, tremendous podcast, that. Now, I've been through everywhere else. There are a whole number of podcasts that have begun. Shilling Speakers Podcast is the second uh, podcast that is still going after one year. A number of, there's one from Nigeria, one from Australia, uh, one from Malaya, but none of them have been sustained. So what is so different about Shilling Speakers Club and its commitment to longevity? That's the end of my contribution. I am so proud that I played some catalytic, bit of a catalyst there, um, influence on the development. But this podcast would not exist if it wasn't for the ability of the club to sustain it because I slipped away quietly and very deliberately in order to make space for others to come through. And thank you very much for letting me. Back to you, Violetta. Thank you, Paul. And moving on, I think I will ask uh, Philippa 
and Anthony Garvey, who is our president and who is also present today in our podcast to share their thoughts about this special anniversary episode and this podcast and what does it mean to you, Philippa, for you as a team member and Anthony for you as a club president. What does it mean, this podcast for the club? So, yeah, who would like to be the first? Well, Paul's just told us we are really quite unique and it's it's an extra string to the club's bow. I don't know about anyone else. Since I discovered podcasts, they've pretty much taken over my life. I used to listen to the radio, but now I don't do that very often. And if I do, I listen to radio programs as a podcast. Uh, I've got my favorite two dozen or so, and any time it seems a bit quiet in the house or I need some inspiration, I just open up my uh, podcast app. And absolutely essential. And learning to uh, do a podcast is a really important skill. It's a useful skill. I've learned editing. And yeah, I too am amazed that we've kept going a year. We wouldn't have done if it just been me. I think it's because it's a club effort and I don't want to let people down. I more or less managed to uh, squeeze in enough time to do the edits and publish it. Anthony. Thank you, uh, Philippa. So uh, just, just to add to, uh, to what you've said, it's, it's a fantastic training ground for uh, Toastmasters to learn new technology, to learn leadership skills, to learn, as you said, the, the software. You didn't know how to edit a podcast before. Now that's another string to your bow. And the fact that we have been able to rotate members. So a, uh, a, a key person who has been involved with the, the podcast is Pat Caslin, who's uh, not here today. And yet uh, we're able to rotate around and get different people in. And I love listening to it in the car. There's a great simplicity to, to it. It's, a, it's quite a straightforward podcast. You know what you're getting. It's the wrong seal of podcasts. It delivers uh, exactly what it says on the tin. You get the same structure each week. And you can listen to them back to back the way that uh, you listen, you watch Netflix um, uh, programs. So I heartily recommend it. I would encourage anybody listening, if you're a member, get involved. If you haven't been on the podcast yet, come and be a guest. It really is a fantastic uh, opportunity. And I see great potential for it down the line to interview people way beyond our shores and uh, to have all sorts of new guests in. We're just beginning to tiptoe into that arena uh, at the moment. And we've had some excellent overseas guests uh, on and another one uh, today, a big boy today, but more on that later. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. And thank you, Philippa, for sharing all your thoughts. It's great to have this uh, for our listeners. And to add on, I would like also to share my thoughts that I can't believe it has been a full year already. And that year one brought us 36 episodes. And I only joined in November last year, and so much has already happened. So technically, I'm with podcast team just four months, kind of a newbie. I've made amazing connections already with Toastmasters members online, learned a lot from our podcast guests, 
and connected with them on social media and have been developing questioning skills and impromptu speaking. I have started to listen more to other podcasts just for the interest. What other people talking about? What? How do they know what to share? What is important? What is interesting for listeners? And um, from them, I get more ideas on what topics to talk about. It's amazing how big is this industry. It feels like everyone actually is listening to podcasts these days. According to Midroll, 67 million Americans listen to podcasts each month. And 19.1 million podcast listeners actually was in the United Kingdom in 2021. So it's a huge industry and a lot of listeners out there, even though we cannot see them physically. But uh, yes, we can see that they listen to our podcast. I would say that is a very good way for Toastmasters and for people who want to develop their skills in public speaking, a great way to do that. With this, we finish up our first part of this podcast. Oh, just before we finish, just before. All right, yeah. Now, but I would like to ask our guest if he's ever listened to a podcast. But before that, question to be answered. Let me introduce our secret special guest. Dear listeners, our special guest today is a person who joined Fingal Toastmasters Club in 1985 in Dublin. Having served at the club and district level, he was elected district governor of District 71 for 1994-1995 and led his district to president's distinguished district status, finishing second in the world in achievements that year. This led to his election for a two-year term as an international director in St. Louis, Missouri in 1996, representing all the Toastmasters in the rest of the world outside North America. In 2000, in Miami, he was elected third vice president and went on to serve as international president in 2003-2004, the first and still the only European to do so in the 99 years history of the organization. He has been a member of the Rotary Club Dublin since 1991, serving as club president in 2001-2002. He is also the author of three books. The Leadership Bus, published in 2008, and Hiring a Car and Walking After It, published in 2019. His most recent book, A Comprehensive History of Toastmasters in Great Britain and Ireland, was launched in September 2022. So please welcome Ted Corcoran. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Ted. The, thank you for the introduction. So, Paul, can you repeat your question then? Which is, Ted, have you ever listened to a podcast in your life? 
I have one or two, but not very many. I participated in a lot more, I may tell you, <laughs> which is a different uh, turn. But yes, I see the value of them. I listened to, I should say, a marvellous interview with you by that wonderful Toastmaster, Siobhan Keenan. Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald, yes. Which... Uh, we can maybe put in our show notes as well worth listening to. But thank you very much. Now, Ted, I pass you uh, back to you, Anthony. No, uh, no, I just, I just had a question. Uh, uh, so uh, put your lava source, as we say in, uh, in Ireland. So, Ted, uh, what, what I'd like to know, uh, because Shilling Speakers is an online club, and nowadays we have live clubs, we have online clubs, and we have hybrid clubs. And when we saw you last, we talked uh, about the past and the present. I'm interested in the future. Where do you see the future of Toastmasters going in terms of whether it will be a physical appearance where people turn up to clubs? Do you think that will still be big? Or will online take over? Or will it be a combination of both? It will be a combination of both, uh, no doubt. Here in Ireland, my club went back to in-person and we signed up our 12th new member last night, uh, which is incredible. And they're pouring through the doors and they want in-person meetings. So there may be other people who are at, in, in, in villages and towns that are remote from town centers and have poor Wi-Fi or whatever, but they still prefer being online than traveling in six or seven, ten miles. So I think it'll be a combination of both. I really do. But I don't ever foresee a moment when in-person will be the minority. Okay. And uh, what, what about for the, uh, the World Championships, say, and the conferences? So at the moment... The, uh, the, the World Championship of Public Speaking is now held as a hybrid event. Do you see 10 years from now, it'll still be hybrid and people who are online uh, as members of online clubs only will still be able to enter? Or do you think it'll revert to in-person or will it go online only? Well, an international convention without an in-person speech contest, I think, loses a lot of its attraction for, for people to travel to it. The, obviously, the district leaders are, are trained at international convention nowadays, so they would have to travel. But why would somebody spend an enormous amount of money to go to the Bahamas next summer and, and not see any contest except on a screen? They, so I, I, I also feel that speaking on, on Zoom is not thing. It, it lends itself to exaggerating body language and exaggerated uh, delivery of all sorts and totally overlooking the fact that speeches are about how they're shaped and, and the message rather than the delivery. In a presentation I do, I actually give 75% to organization structure of message and purpose. And I give the remaining 25% to word usage and delivery. But that's not what you see on Zoom at international contests or indeed district contests. 
it's all shapes being drawn. And you then look at everyday life. Where do you see speakers doing that? And the answer is nowhere. From Joe Biden down to Richie Sunak over in Britain to our old man here. No, they, they give speeches like speeches always are given with intent and with a message and with purpose and with information. So I think that TI will be very slow to change away from the real in-person meetings. Okay, Violetta. Yes, thank you. Uh, thank you, Anthony. Ted, uh, I would like to ask you, um, you joined Fingal Toastmasters Club in 1985 in Dublin. What was the story behind that? Why did you join them? Uh, because I made a complete idiot of myself a few months earlier at a function I was chairing. I was the chairman of the local residents association. And we had our Christmas dinner after Christmas, 1985. And we had 200 people and we had all the local representatives, politicians. And on my right hand side was the Minister for Justice for Ireland, Dr. Michael Woods. And it came to the time to begin. And back then we were very religious and we said grace before weeps. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of petered out now, but back then we did. So I stood up and I said, okay, join me and we'll say grace together. And all I could think of was bless me father for I have sinned, which is a, <laughs> which of course is a Catholic thing for going to confession. And no matter how hard I tried, I could not think of the first line of grace before means a prayer I had said hundreds and thousands of times. So five seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, I see the people shuffling. And they're all standing at this, they're all shuffling, uh, all wondering why am I not starting? And the reason never dawned on them that the reason I wasn't starting because I couldn't remember the first line. And then I got an idea. I turned to the Minister for Justice of the country, Michael Woods. I said, Michael, 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 how does grace start? He says, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which was the bog standard grace before means. Oh, and I was away. And later that year, I was at that stage, the station master at Houston Station, our biggest station. And I was leaving and I stopped, I stopped to talk to the security man, Paddy. And he said, would you like an evening paper, an evening press, as it was at the time, since gone out of circulation? And in it was a letter from a man I knew very well, Pierce Barrett, because I was involved in the football world here in Dublin, and he was the secretary of the junior football board. And in it said, a letter to the editor, a new club being started in the Hollybrook Hotel on Monday next, 8 o'clock. Oh, I said, I'll go to that and just see what it is. So I went along on the Monday night saying, I will not get involved. I will not get involved. I definitely will not get involved. So we had a demonstration meeting. There were two or three or four Toastmasters there. And then Pierce went to the men's room. And while he was away for the two minutes, this gentleman came over and said, we're forming a committee. Will you do president? I said, okay. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. I was the first president. I hadn't a clue, but we had a guy called Dick Hassan from the Malahide Club up the road. And he was the vice president of education. He ran the whole show. The following year, I became the vice president of education. The following year, I became the vice president of membership. 
And each of those three years, because nobody else would enter the humorous speech contest, I entered. The first year, I got to the Irish final and didn't place. Year, I got to the British and Irish final and didn't place. And the third year, I got to the British Irish final in, in High Wycombe outside London. And I became the district humorous speech champion. And the next morning, this tall gentleman approached me in the lobby of the hotel. He said, my name is Joe Prendergast. He said, I'm going to be the district governor next year, starting the 1st of July. This was November, obviously. He said, what position do you hold in your club? I said, vice president membership. Oh, he said, that's a terrible pity. If you'd been president or vice president of education, I'd ask you to be the area governor. Oh, but I said, Mr. Prendergast, I have been. I'm working my way down. <laughs> And I became the early governor, and then I became the division, then I became district public relations officer. And in 94, 95, like as if it was all written in the stars, I became the district governor. And we did extremely well, finishing second in the world. And but for some um, slightly, uh, slightly uh, <laughs> suspicious, new clubs that arrived from another part of the world at the last minute, we would have been first. What a great story. It's amazing. On that, sure. In that year, the, the previous year, we had, um, we had uh, the, the Club Excellence program in, in, in position, which was, made a big change to us. And... Um, there was a gold, silver, and bronze. And then Pat Sexton, still a member of Speakeasy in Mallow, wrote me a letter. He said, I love your program, but there's nothing in it for clubs to start a new club. And I thought of that and I said, he's right. So instead of gold, silver, and bronze, if, if, you, if your club provided um, a sponsor to a new club chartered before the 30th of June, you became a gold elite or a silver elite or a bronze elite, depending on your other qualifications. So we started the year with 67 clubs in the entire Britain and Ireland. And guess what? We finished with 82. 16 new clubs on a base of 67 is about 25%. Because? Because people wanted to gain the distinction. And that's what made our district. We went from 67 to 82. We were, in a, we were over 103 more years and kept, kept growing. There you are. Next thank question. you, thank you for sharing this story. It's such a big pleasure. And um, when you said that uh, you um, finished second in the world in achievement that year, that your district um, led to president's distinguished district status and finished the, in the world achievement second. So I want to ask, what kept you so motivated? What was a person behind that leader? Well, I would think there's several reasons. I'm naturally somebody who likes to get things done in my career in Toastmasters. I like to think that I get things done. And there's no doubt that when I went to my first international convention in 92, 1992 in Vegas, 
the there were three Australian districts, one New Zealand, that's four, one Southern Africa, that's five, the Philippines, that's six. And they were hugely successful and looked down on this small little little tiny district of 56 clubs in the whole of Britain and Ireland. We had only 56 clubs in 1992. And uh, I think that motivated me to prove to those big guys that, yeah, we could do too. But remember, that wasn't I did it. It was the people who, in the clubs and in the areas and the divisions that did it. I was just the person who led, led the team, as it were. And back then, we didn't have email, and we didn't have podcasts, and we didn't have WhatsApp, and we, they, we just did it, you know, because it was the right thing to do. So, yeah, so, so I was a, a very proud indeed to be, in those days, President Distinguished District was, all, was awarded only to the top six districts. Now it is, it is every district that fulfills a certain criteria, which is fairer, but back then it was top six. And in those few years after 92, in 93, which was the first year of our new system, the Club Excellence Programme, which is another story in itself. Maybe I should tell you that, should I? Yes. Yes. Okay, so, so I was, I was, I was, uh, what's the word? I felt a little small with the success stories of all these overseas districts that I've just named out. And then I was talking to one guy one day over coffee. And he said, you know what your problem in your club is, in your district, Ted? He says, no, I said, uh, Owen, what's his name? Owen Hayden. He says, you have too many social clubs. You have a great time. You get nothing done. <laughs> and that, while it was somewhat true, it also uh, rankled with me. And then uh, the next day, I was standing on the side of the street in Las Vegas. There was no bridge over the street like there is now to Bally's Hotel. I was staying at the Cheapy Dunes Hotel. And if you go and look for it now, you won't find it because it's the lake in front of the Bellagio Hotel. And I, I was thinking about what these guys were saying about we were social and we weren't doing much. And they seemed to have a committee for everything. They had a chair, a club extension chair, a club this chair, something else chair. And they did. They had so many. I, I remember making the joke that they had so many chairs that could have opened a furniture factory. But the point was, all of this hierarchy was designed to press down on the clubs to get the clubs to do things the district wanted done. And I'm standing on the side of the street, and suddenly this idea enters my head. But, but if we could get the clubs to want to do it because they wanted to do it, and we helped them get it done then all that they did get done would come over onto the district bottom line. So I hastened over to Bally's Hotel, found Brian O'Connor, the DG, and Norman Fox from Maidenhead, who was the education, came back to my room, and we had, in an hour, created what you'll find in the history book as the Club Excellence Programme. We brought it to the business meeting in London at the Autumn Conference in 92, and by June the 30th, 93, less than eight months later, we're sixth in the world. Sixth from nowhere. And then we were 20th, and then we were second, and then we were 13th, and then we were sixth, and then we were seventh. We went from nothing to world beaters. Why? 
because the Celts took an interest in doing what they were supposed to do. And one of the things we introduced, and I was very pleased about it, was that when we went to the Hall of Fame at the, at the International in 92 in Vegas, there's a big celebration uh, worldwide, all the successful districts, a whole lot of cheering, all, all kinds of things. Brian O'Connor and myself sat in the crowd with our arms folded in the audience and said, you know, we, we need to bring in something like that at the district level. So in 1993, in whatever the conference was, we introduced on a Sunday morning a Hall of Fame. And it was spectacular. And it had two major effects. The first effect was the people whose clubs are recognized or whose members are recognized said, we'll be back for more next year. And the ones who sat, like Brian and myself sat in 92, in the audience said, well, we'll be back next year too. And that set in train a series of events that in from 1992, 1993 to 2013, for 20 years, we were distinguished 17 times. Wow, that's and impressive. Then, and it is very impressive because no other district in the world did it at the time. But here's the rub. Sometime around 2015 or so, or 16, TI did away with uh, autumn conferences. So now you have four contests every May instead of two. So they decided that running a topics contest at district level was more important in celebrating the successes of the previous year. And we haven't been distinguished since. Maybe there is no connection between the two things, but maybe there is. So here are our successive groups of leaders saying a topics contest on a Sunday morning is more important than celebrating the successes of, of, uh, of uh, the previous year. So I went to a, I went to a division training here in Dublin, I won't tell you which division, a few years ago now, um, club ops are training. And I was asked to say something at 20 past one. It started at 9.30, due to finish at 9.30. So the division had 12 present distinguished clubs. It had three select distinguished clubs. It had one distinguished. It had one new and one was in some sort of disarray. So how many times was that incredible success story mentioned in the three hours and 50 minutes before I rose to speak? And the answer is not once, not once, not once until I got up. So, so then I know I'm going on a bit now, but which is very unusual for me, by the way. <clears throat> <laughs> it's very unusual for me, but but I I, uh, I mentioned it to Dan Rex only la this time last year that you know clubs are not being recognised for what they do. And I said we we have instituted some certificates in my club, and it went down very well. He said I like that idea. And on the twenty second of August this year, every club in the world that was distinguished got a letter of congratulations, a lovely email. And with the ability to click on the spot and download your, your certificates and present them to the 
opposite. I've spoken to 25 people around the world, including two directors, two regional advisors, uh, three people running for election, and not one of them have heard about it. Because when it arrived at the immediate past president's uh, computer, he or she said, oh, I'll file away that. And that's what happened. So I hate to ask now the people in Chile, did you know about it? 22nd of August last year, your president, your immediate past president, got such a letter, such a lovely email, beautiful congratulatory email. Let's see, can I find it? Um, um, Also, you can never find something when you want it, huh? It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's usually a case. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I can't find it now, but but it's a letter. It just says uh, just says thank you and congratulations and so on and so forth. And, and it's very nice congratulatory letter, really, really well written. And and nobody, no past president that I have come across has mentioned it at club level. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ted. And one and the last question is for Philippa. She wanted to ask you today something. Yes. Hello, Ted. Uh, I'm relatively new to Toastmasters. And since I've joined, which was when Shilling Speakers was founded back in 2000 and Ooh, 20, I think. Um, I've sort of slowly figured out how it all works and hangs together up to district level. But anything above that is a bit mysterious. So I am hugely impressed that you were a part of TMI International, Toastmasters International. And can you tell me a bit about it? What did it feel like? Well... Well, first of all, of course, it never entered my head that I would ever become an international director. And until I, until the district finished second in the world in 1995, and then people said, oh, you're going for international director. Now, at that time, there was just one international director for the rest of the world outside North America. And of course, all these Australians and New Zealanders and South Africans were all very well known. So I decided I'd throw my hat in the ring, and there was a, an opponent from the Philippines and an opponent from Sydney, Australia. And I gathered a team around me, and we went off to St. Louis, Missouri, and um, all of a sudden I get over 8,000 votes, and the other two get 3,000 between them. And now I'm an international director, and I go to my first board meeting in February, uh, February uh, 1997. And there's 23 people sitting around this big long table, all looking extremely intelligent and well-dressed. And, and I'm sitting there, what am I doing here? Representing the rest of the world, <laughs> in which you never spoke to anybody because you couldn't ring Australia, you had to sell the house to pay for the phone call, right? <laughs> uh, and then I found out, well, I, 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 I know quite a bit about what they're talking about and I have opinions. And I started stating my opinions and I did my two years, and that was it. And then people started saying to me, oh, you will run for third vice president. 
is now the equivalent of second vice president. I said, who, me? How could I be president? But I gathered a marvelous team around me and we hit off for Miami in 2000. And uh, I got, uh, what is it, A3, A367, uh, A397. And my opponent got 1368. So I won pretty handily. <laughs> and almost all of a sudden, I'm the third vice president. And then it's after that, unless you rob a bank or murder somebody or home and hose, as I say. And I didn't rob any banks and I didn't murder anybody. So I became the president in 2003 in Atlanta, next August, 20 years ago. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I could never comprehend that I finished up where I did. I couldn't. That's a fantastic story. Yeah, listening to you today, Ted, it's a mixture of really good ideas, really hard work, having a great team, mm -hmm. and having ambition, I think. Yes, well, when it was put in front of me, I said, yes, let's go for it. Yeah, let's go for it. And I have a little, a little trilogy that I tell people when they ask me about the secret of success. I say, always say yes to opportunity. Never be afraid to ask for advice. And most importantly of all, always, always believe you're as good as the next person. Because that was the thought that struck me as I sat around that board table of 23 people. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? But I was there and I, there was no escape, so I had to stick it out. And then I found out, oh my goodness, I know things that they don't know. And I have experiences that they don't know. And I have opinions that count. And it's and the same thing. And when I, when I declared my candidature for international president, uh, third vice president, in, I, I declared in Chicago in 1999, in August. Usually there's three or four or five. There wasn't any in August. There wasn't any in September. There wasn't any in October. There wasn't any in November. There wasn't any in December. And now panic sets in in Toastmasters International because they have to have two candidates according to the bylaws. So they found a man on the 13th of January, um, in 2000. And at this stage, of course, I had my team assembled. I had my literature prepared. I had the contacts made. I was following up rapidly. Uh, uh, here's, here's the thing I tell a lot of people. I phoned the district governor in Kansas, District 22. His name was Tommy Steele. I think he was a footballer with Man United, wasn't he? No, he wasn't. <laughs> he was a guitar player. <laughs> but he had the name said. So he was never in. So I talked to Mrs. Steele, his mother, and we'd have a chat about... Ireland and about America and about immigration and about this and about that. And I'd ring the next time and the next time and the next time. He was never at home. So I never got to speak. And then I'm in the, in the candidate's corner, as they call it, as international. And this guy comes up and he says, are you Ted Cochran? I said, I am. He says, my mother said I was to vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> he, never, he never asked me a single question about how good I was or what I knew or what I was going to do. No, he said, my mother said I was to vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you, Ted. Thank you for coming today, for sharing your Toastmasters story, Toastmasters journey with us. And uh, it is very impressive. And uh, I believe that many of us will listen again and again to this podcast and we share definitely and learn a lot from this story from you as a person, as an icon of Toastmasters. And uh, yes, thank you again for coming to our podcast. It's It's my pleasure. And remember that 20 shillings make a pound and they owe money. So uh, <laughs> you, need, you need to invest a bit. <laughs> and I think it was known as Bob, wasn't it? Back in the old days, Bob, the shilling was what to Bob? Oh, yes. Oh, Bob. Absolutely. Bob. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. that was to show how old Paul and I are. <laughs> anyway, good night to you all. Good evening. And thanks for the invitation. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you bye, for coming. Bye. 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 And now, listeners, we have the president of Shilling Speakers, no less. Here is Anthony Garvey to step onto the soapbox. So, Anthony, it's all yours. Thank you very much indeed, Philippa. Recently, I completed a seven hour round trip journey by car from Kerry in the deep southwest of Ireland up to our capital, Dublin. And sitting next to me was my 17 year old son, Zach. Our itinerary was very straightforward. We would go for a late lunch with my mother, Zach's grandmother, And then we would head to the Aviva Stadium on the south side of Dublin to watch France play Ireland in the European Soccer Qualifying Championships. Now, my mother would have made a great Toastmaster because she's funny, she's creative, and she's very sociable. My father used to say that my mother would go to the opening of an envelope. And as to the French soccer team, ooh la la. My eldest son has posters of Kylian Mbappe and Antoine Griezmann, which adorn his bedroom. And they are part of his role models. He follows them closely. And the idea of being up close and personal and watching them on the hallowed turf was an absolute treat for him. So when we were on our way back in the car, I said to my son, what did you enjoy most about the day? And he said, my conversation with Nana. I was surprised, but he continued, she's such an inspiration. The idea that at 80 years of age, there is still someone out there who is following their dreams. And this is my big idea for you for the week. Seek out someone in your extended family 
whether it's a grandparent or an uncle, an auntie, a nephew, a niece, who can be a positive influence on the next generation and introduce them to your family, your young members of your family. Because very often, it's not the poster boys, it's not the YouTube heroes or the pop stars or the Premier League footballers who change people's lives. It's those positive people within our extended family and friends who, when given the opportunity to talk to our young people, can shape and influence their lives for the better. Back to you, Philip. Thank you, Anthony. That was truly inspirational. So, dear listeners, that is the end of part three. And thank you and goodbye from me, Violeta Saladiene. And goodbye from me, Philippa Gray. And goodbye from me, Paul Omani. Thanks a million for listening. And our club president, Anthony Garvey. See ya. That's it for today from the Shilling Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.